Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Well, God bless you. If you did not bring your Bible, the verses that we are covering today are on your handout. So you can find Philippians chapter 1, and we're only going to do three verses today. (laughs) You know, we are going to be in Philippians for a while, but it is packed full of such amazing things I believe it's going to be life-changing for all of us here, those watching online, welcome. Uh, We really just started two weeks ago our deep dive into this book. We did the introduction. Last week we did verses 1 through 8, and today we will do verses 9 through 11. And I know that God is going to speak to each and every one of us here if we just open up our hearts and our minds to receive from His Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible throughout says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that includes all of us, the ecclesia, and all of us in that church. The main theme of the book, who remembers what it is? (laughs) Joy, you got it. The joy of the Lord. I mean, throughout this book, he's going to talk about joy. And folks, Balloons belong in church. I've preached this many times throughout the years. But we should be the most celebrant, happy, amazing people in the world. We should be known for our love, and we're going to talk about that this morning. The other theme is God is not finished with you. We are a work in progress, and we talked about that last week. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Starting at verse 6, and it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it or perfect it until the day of Christ. When is the day of Christ? The day of the Lord. Yeah, it starts with the rapture. So until the rapture, we're a work in progress, and consistently we will fail. Make no mistake about it, but don't give up, don't give in, don't be discouraged, because in Romans chapter 8, we read quite clearly, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when the enemy tries to tell you you're not good enough or whatever, man, I'm a work in progress. Yeah, I'm going to fail. But when I fail, I get up and I'm forgiven and I put my sights back to the mark. And though I'll miss it, that's what sin is. I will continue to aim for it. Verse 7, Philippians chapter 1. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all koinonia, partakers of the grace with me. We talked about that last week. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And now we get into our text for this morning, Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, note this, in real knowledge and all discernment. 
so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Again, the rapture. So we're going to pick these verses apart. Verse 9, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Folks, if there's one theme throughout the Word of God, it is love. In fact, we're told that God is love. And if there's one thing the enemy attempts to do to believers, it's attempt to get that root of bitterness against friends or family or people in the church when we should be the most loving people around. The word love there in the Greek is agape. What does that mean? What's agape love? It, it, it is a love feast. It is when you love someone so much that they aren't searching for anything else emotionally. You have completely satisfied them emotionally. It is a deep love that truly only God can give. It is a godly love. It's the way God loves us. In fact, in the early church uh, at communion, uh, they would call it an agape feast, a love feast. And that's why the secular historian we read a few weeks ago accused the Christians of having drunken orgies and doing weird things because they would get together for communion and break the bread and drink the wine. And unfortunately, Paul had to write the church at Corinth because they were getting drunk at communion. <laughs> and he said, guys, do your drinking at home. But when you get together, just have a little bit. <laughs> you know? Oh, Lord, have mercy. They would love one another so much that not one person in the church, when they assembled, would leave feeling unloved or wanting anything more. Folks, we need to love each other. We need to be known for our love. Christians should meet every emotional need of not only their spouse and their family, but those in the church. Every Sunday, I would encourage you, look around and try to find somebody that seems depressed or down and love on them. Socially distance, of course. <laughs> I had to say that for our insurance. <laughs> oh, my Lord, have mercy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is the number one quality we should have. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 13, starting at verse 34. A new command I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, that's difficult. Because Jesus loves with an unfailing love. Man, I'm commanded to love you all the way Jesus loves me? It's hard enough to love my wife the way Christ loves the church. <laughs> but you can do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? In fact, the fruit of the Spirit. That means you don't, you don't make it yourself. You don't make yourself love. I'm going to love them. Yeah. No, the fruit of the Spirit wells up and grows within you. And the Holy Spirit, the first one, is love. God gives you love as you pour love into others. And we should be known for that as Christians. In verse 35, the next verse in John chapter 13, 
Jesus said, by this, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's interesting, I talk to atheists and agnostics every day. And I always ask them, I pick their grain, what, what do you think about, did I say grain? Brain. <laughs> I'm getting hungry, what time is it? Oh, it's not time for lunch yet. <laughs> Too much coffee this morning. You all know, if it, I'm so glad they don't videotape us setting up and the craziness that goes on here because someone was doing some wild things this morning. And uh, I think I saw him in the mirror too. I don't know. I pick their brains and I say, what do you think about Christians? And inevitably, they say they are the most judgmental, intolerant, self-righteous, hypocritical people I know. That is a sad commentary. Wouldn't it be great if we began to do what Christ said and love the least, the last, and the lost and love them into the kingdom, love them so that they can find faith in Christ? Love. Agape love. How do we do it? Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to get into this in depth in probably a month <laughs> at the rate we're going. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. That's hard to do. But folks, we're commanded to do it. Go on to verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. And that is real Christian love. It's amazing to me when I counsel believers and they get to this deep depression some. And I ask them, how are you pouring out into others? What are you doing to serve others and put their interests before your own? I can assure you not one depressed Christian that I have ever counseled is doing that. But the minute they begin to pour into others, the Holy Spirit pours into them. And the depression is gone. The anxiety is gone. And it is replaced with that sweet fruit of the Holy Spirit. Back to our text, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. And he doesn't stop there. Folks, there's a lot of churches today that focus simply on love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's true. That's how we're saved. That's when we become an infant baby Christian and we long for the milk of the word and we start experiencing the things of God and it's amazing. But then he says we need to grow. It's more than just love. We need what? In verse 9b, real knowledge and all discernment. Folks, a lot of Christians today lack real knowledge. And that is why we have so many cults and so many uh, denominational divisions. 
They don't have that real knowledge and that discernment. There were so many philosophies and ideologies back when Paul wrote this that Paul said, as believers, we need more than just love. We need to have that real knowledge and discernment. The compromised church, I can assure you, focuses on love, and their messages are all about self-help. Well, man, if they would just start teaching their people to go out and minister and, pour, and love others, then God would pour into them, and they wouldn't need three steps on how to feel better. If they would immerse themselves in the Word and begin to do exactly what God created us to do, they would be content. They would have a peace. We're going to read in Philippians chapter 4 that transcends understanding. They would have the joy of the Lord, and they would have the celebrant heart that only God can give. Now, that said, the caveat is this. Many times in our walk with God, we are pruned. We're going to talk about this uh, in a minute. But when you're pruned, it's not fun. You don't feel that peace. You don't feel that joy. You don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you're pruned so that you will do what? Those of you that grow fruit trees, what do you know? You got to prune them, right? If you don't prune them, they're not going to bear more fruit. But if you prune them down, they will bear more fruit. And pruning is hard. Theologians call that the dark night of the soul. And if you're going through that, keep the faith. Stay the course. You're, you're in a season of pruning. But once that pruning is over and the rain, the living water of God begins to pour in your life, you will bear more fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Real knowledge, all discernment. Knowledge there is epignosis. And it literally means this. Epic or ultimate or real or foundational truth. It, go, it goes more than just having a head knowledge about something. This is you know everything you immerse yourself in the word of god so that you know doctrinal truth you get to the core of what it is it's a knowledge that transcends all other truth claims it's literally ultimate truth love corrects those who believe a lie and true love defends the truth. So we read in Jude chapter 1, verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing to you that you would contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. Let me ask you, are you contending for the truth claims in Scripture? Are you contending for the faith? Are you defending the gospel? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul wrote young Timothy, this young minister, and he said, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight of faith, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among those are Hermanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. 
True love corrects false doctrine. And that is why in our text this morning, hey, let your love abound more and more. And that doesn't mean when you have a brother or sister in Christ that believe a lie or are being deceived, you just say, God bless you, and oh, that's okay. We can ignore that and not worry about it. True love corrects false doctrine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you can turn there if you want, starting at verse 1. It says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and an immorality of such kind as does not even exist among the world, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now, I want you to know this. It's not the quantitative uh, or qualitative uh, sin that he's saying you need to remove them from your midst. This church so loved false love that whatever sin was in the church they embraced. Oh, it's okay that you're doing that as long as you're happy. <laughs> Paul says that's not right. You become arrogant. This is not love. Love would correct. Verse 3. For on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, I have already judged him and has so committed this as though I were present. Verse 4. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rapture. So here it's very interesting. Paul affirms that salvation is through faith alone, and even though this man practiced a wicked sin, and by the way, all sin is wicked. No matter what sin you are struggling with, it is just as bad as any other sin. Are you with me? So you can't say, well, I've got this little sin, but look at that. You know, that's a big one. No, sin is sin. We're, we're, you're missing the mark. Paul turned him over to Satan. That seems harsh. For the destruction of his flesh, what does that mean? He's going to die. You know, as a hospice chaplain, I can't tell. I've lost count how many agnostic, atheist, and fallen away believers. What do I mean by that? Hey, they grew up in church, but they fell away. They hadn't been to church for 20 years. They don't pray. They don't do anything. But on their deathbed, they come back to Christ. I've seen it over and over again. I've seen atheists that would literally cuss me out. But as they're dying, their family calls me in, and I already had shared the truth with them. And that last moment, I have seen them in agony all of a sudden get a peace that transcends understanding, Philippians chapter 4. We'll get there in about five years. <laughs> four months maybe, three months. And they get this peace, and many I have heard say in that last breath, their flesh is being destroyed, Jesus. Are you with me? like Christ or the Holy Spirit wooed them in that last moment of life. And they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a, living, uh, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Note this. What does he say next in verse 7? Remove the wicked from your midst. You know, when I talk to people about the church, I mentioned they call us judgmental and hypocritical. We've talked about this before. A hypocrite literally is an actor in the Greek. That's all it is. Folks, there should be no hypocrites in church. We should all have a real relationship with Christ. We should all practice our faith and have real love. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Folks, I want you to know that you can know doctrinal truth. It does not have to be confusion, confusing because the author of confusion is who? Satan. Who brings confusion? Who brings when you just can't comprehend the simple truths in this book? The enemy tries to confuse, tries to divide, tries to get people to believe a lie. He is a deceiver of all, and especially the brethren. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, until we attain the unity of the faith. So right before that, he said, hey, I've given to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, evangelists, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry until we attain, Ephesians 4.13, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Jesus' last prayer was, Father, make them one, the big church, the ecclesia, the gathering of saints. Make them one even as you and I are one, complete unity. I believe the only time we will ever get there is when the church is persecuted to the point that only true believers that are seeking God with all their heart come to unity in the faith. First Corinthians chapter five, verse nine. Let's go back there. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I'm glad I'm not like that immoral person over there. <laughs> Verse 10. I did not at all mean the immoral people of the world or with the covetous or swindlers or with the idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world. Note this. 
but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. True love corrects those in false practice, in those habitually sinning, and those with false doctrine. True love corrects. The best thing you can do is not associate with a so-called brother. You need to correct them so they come to a place of repentance and the Holy Spirit renews their mind and transforms their life. We judge believers by their fruit. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul said, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, let God judge. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Wow, what if all the churches practiced that? I think they would be as small as ours. <laughs> uh, Jesus gave us the process in doing this. This is real love, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, and sin simply means what? Missing the mark, right? Okay, so that could be doctrinally. That's sin, to miss doctrinal truth. If you miss that purity of doctrinal truth, you've missed the mark. So if a brother sins, or it could be a sin, that's a, a, a regular sin, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, the ecclesia. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a worldly person or a tax collector. Meaning, when he wrote that, don't even associate with him. Okay, that is church discipline and how it should be done. And that's the most loving thing to do. We study the Bible to have knowledge of the real truth. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Two things there. We should be fruit inspectors for other believers. If they don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we need to help them get to the point where they do. We need to bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God. Philippians 1.9, let's go back to it. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Discernment in the Greek literally is a thesis. We get the, the, the term thesis, which is kind of um, an idea or a theory that you believe. So discernment is not solid foundational knowledge. 
it is more of a feeling you 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 observe and with all your senses you come to a conclusion that is not how you interpret scripture discernment is how you discern the spirits of people are you with me so you can understand people by okay i kind of discern that that's an angry person or that's a depressed person or that's a joyful person, or, or whatever it is, you're, you're discerning its perception with all your senses as well as your mind. It's a thesis or feeling or theory of what is true and right when examining the evidence or the character of someone or what is being said or what is written. Supernatural discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people have it. You know, they have that gift of discernment, so... Uh, my wife is one of them. She can discern people pretty good. I mean, she'll see and, 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 and she'll, she'll have that discernment into the character of who they are. In Matthew 16, starting at verse 3, Jesus said this to the Pharisees, In the morning, there, uh, you discern that in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? So this isn't like solid foundational real knowledge. Even our weather forecasters today, you know, I've, I've heard them say, uh, yes, tomorrow's going to be sunny with a high of 73. Um, and later in the afternoon, we'll have some uh, clouds come in, but no precipitation. And I wake up at 5 a.m. and it's pouring down rain. <laughs> okay, that's, that's discernment in the flesh. They look at all the signs and they make a theory or thesis. Are you with me? Okay, I believe with the jet stream and blah, 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 that it's going to be sunny tomorrow in 73. Discernment is kind of like that. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, note this, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So here we have a real definition of what discernment is. It's discerning between something that is good and something that is bad, something that is holy and something that is profane. So we need to ask God for discernment. It's not always foundational, clear, black and white truth like knowledge and doctrinal truth. Discernment is more esoteric. It's more of a feeling. But we train our senses to discern good and evil. I don't know about you, but I've at times uh, was about to do something and the Holy Spirit in me gave me discernment and said, no, that ultimately will be a bad thing if you do that. So I didn't do it. Some people call me, hey, I do this. Is that a sin? Well, that's kind of a gray area. I, I, I don't know. Why don't you pray that the Holy Spirit would give you discernment so that you would be trained to know what is good and what is bad? And by the way, some things that are good could be bad for you. Does that make sense? <laughs> Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. 
We need to examine everything and discern everything. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Rejoice when everything is going your way and you feel blessed. No. Rejoice what? Always. Rejoice always. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. What if you did that? In every circumstance, oh, my hot water heater broke. I don't know how we're going to pay for it, but thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You've got a problem. Your hot water heater broke. You know, that's what I do. Pray without ceasing. Constantly commune and have fellowship with God in your heart. Verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In all your circumstances, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Verse 21, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And we do that with discernment. So we have knowledge of God. That's the expressed, clear revelation of God the special revelation of God in the Word of God. And we also see God even in nature and His fingerprint in science. Verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you. What, what's sanctification again? To be washed and set apart for exclusive use by and for God. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the rapture of the church faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass run to the Lord he will give you strength he will give you wisdom he will guide you he will sustain you, he will help you, and he will empower you no matter what trial or battle you're facing in life. Back to our text. We made it to verse 10, and we have five minutes. <laughs> Lord, have we, all of that was one verse. What? So that you may approve. So let's go back so that. So have knowledge and discernment. So knowledge is concrete knowledge, and discernment, that's more of a feeling, a thesis, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless, and again, until the day of Christ, the rapture of the church. We Okay. Lord, whoever the fire department and paramedics are going to we pray that you would just be with them and draw them to you in jesus name amen i love outdoor church <laughs> yeah. philippians 1:10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent what is excellent excellent means in the greek it's really interesting 
tested and proven to be right and beautiful. Think about that. To be good, it's tested and proven. That is applying knowledge with discernment so that we can test and prove that, ah, oh, this thing is right, it's good and beautiful. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or beautiful, whatever is of good report, if there's any excellence, right, good, pure, beautiful, and if anything worthy of praise, think about, dwell on, meditate on these things. Everything God created is good because we know what the Word says. It is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. We need to think and be people that focus on the good, that are loving and kind that pour out into others excellence and nobility and honor and righteousness should be what people see when they see us. They should see a noble ambassador of a different kingdom. Someone who is not wrapped in the things and the circumstances of life. Someone who is not tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, but solidly stand on the Word of God. And if they haven't studied it enough, they just say, I really don't know, but I can study and figure it out. People that are increasing in the knowledge of God and conduct their lives in excellence. What's that? Good. Goodness and beauty with nobility as an ambassador of God's kingdom, with honor and with righteousness, which is simply faith and love. We're not going to have time to finish the last verse. Worship team, come on up. Turn to First Peter while they're coming up. Chapter 2, verse 9. And we all know it. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Again, as you, on your title, you can say, uh, you know, I'm a royal priest, you know, in your resume. <laughs> it's like, whew, I love that. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, note this, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Continue on, verse 10. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent. That word, what does excellent mean again? Good, beautiful. That's that which is right and pure among the world, those in the world, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Oh, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. 
uh, next week, <laughs> we'll do verse 11 and finish uh, verse 10. Man, so it could be five years by the time we finish Philippians. But here's, here's what I know. I used to, from my devotions in the morning, think the more chapters I read in the Bible, the more godly I was. Anyone ever do that? So I would read as many chapters as I could as fast as I could. Didn't understand anything. And then I'd brag about it. How many chapters do you read this morning? Two? That's it? I read 32. <laughs> I am so holy and godly. Now... I part the pages of this book. I know I'm entering the very sacred presence of God because he wrote this through 40 guys. And I read until there's a verse that I'm going to ponder and think about that day. Sometimes it's one verse. That's all I read. I read that verse, and I meditate on that verse, and I pick it apart, and I pray it through, and I figure out what that one verse means. Why did I say all that? Because it may take us some time to get through Philippians, but it will be impactful, and we're going to know this book completely by the time we're done. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the ability to gather together in your name. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us with that love that comes from you, that agape love, that love feast, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to pour that love out on everyone we meet. Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us. And God, for those that are anxious, for those that are struggling with depression, God, I pray that you would give them that wonderful peace that transcends understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. And restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, Contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course and we'll see you next week.